Philippians chapter 14. Those are some of my favorite words to say every week. Take out your Bibles and open them. I love saying that. I love seeing real Bibles. I'm, I'm totally good with digital Bibles. I do my morning Bible reading every morning on an iPad. Um, and so I, I get that as well. I also love just the hearing the paper pages turning. Your Bibles are starting to automatically open into 1 Corinthians. This morning, we got a big chunk of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'm going to read verses 1 through 25. I know that sometimes it's hard to stay dialed in and paying attention, especially when a long passage of Scripture is read. I'll do my best to read it in a way that will be interesting and that you can follow along. And so you do your best there with your Bibles open in front of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is the letter that Matt was referring to with the kids. The Apostle Paul writes this to his brothers and sisters at a church that he had founded, a church that he had planted in the city of Corinth, and he tells them this, pursue love. Now remember verse 13 of chapter 13, the greatest of these is love. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding. Note that word upbuilding. You're going to see that repeatedly as we read through these verses. He speaks to them for their upbuilding. Uh, where did I leave off? Verse 3. No. Four, the one, who, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. There it is again, so that the church may be built up. Right? Paul's, Paul's saying, if you speak in tongues and there's no interpretation, nobody knows what's going on. So the only way you're supposed to do it in the church is with interpretation. Verse 6, now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle, or the trumpet, gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? You will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none was, is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in what? Read it with me. Building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen 
to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying. By the way, if you uh, want a verse that encourages you to say amen during the preaching or singing or teaching, here's one good one. And, and to say amen means let it be so, right? So someone prays something or says something and you in your heart think yes, it is perfectly okay. In fact, I would encourage you with and just to, to vocalize that, amen, right? That's, that's you saying, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement. Yes, amen, that's good. Let that, what he has said, let that be so. Uh, verse 17, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. There it is. Again, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare. He will declare that God is really among you. Father, would you please help us now as we look into this passage? Help me to communicate clearly. Help us to understand clearly. Spirit of God, give us eyes and ears and a heart that will understand your word for us this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Do people ever leave here? Leave this church? Leave this worship gathering? Do you ever leave this worship gathering thinking this, God is really among them. God, God is really in that place. Not, I'm not asking if you think thoughts that are merely like, I like that church, or they're friendly and I like that. Or even, wow, they've got such a good vibe or the energy or the sound system is so well-tuned. I like the music. I like the preaching. I like the kids' ministry. I like that it's a small church, or depending on your background, I like that it's a big church. I'm not asking about those kinds of things, but is this, is this a place where God is? And, and while you're here, you're aware God is here and I must worship him. God is in this place and because he's real and because he's in this place. Now, God, God is everywhere all the time. But there is something unique that's happening here in the Corinthian church or where, that Paul is directing the Corinthian church toward. And he wants them to have an experience of God 
through the mediation of the spiritual gifts that God has given that church, where outsiders would come into that church and they, they wouldn't leave thinking about the preaching or the music or the, or, you know, the, the, the comfort of the facility, but they would be thinking God was in that place. There was something special that happened there because God was in that place. Brothers and sisters, that's, that's what we want. I, I don't want to just do church for the rest of my life. I love church. I love preaching. I love you. But brothers and sisters, we, we do want to know that God is in this place and we must worship him. We're gifted to that end. The main point this morning is this. You are gifted to build others up for the glory of God. And we're going to walk through this chapter. And let me just say right from the outset that I am not going to answer every question about prophecy and tongues this morning. I'm not going to answer every single question that could be derived from this chapter. This chapter, if I could be very honest with you, this is one of the harder chapters I've studied in preparation for preaching. Let me be very, very honest with you. The book of 1 Corinthians has been a lot harder to preach through than I anticipated it being. Head coverings and speaking in tongues and women keeping silent. And I mean, there's just a lot in here that feel like, to me, that feel like landmines. They feel a little bit like, man, I got to figure this out, right? Or I'm going to get myself in big trouble. And obviously, that's not God's intention for the Corinthian believers. That's not God's intention for us. But there are certain passages of Scripture that are harder to understand than others. And at least for me, Chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians has been one of the harder chapters for me to walk through. I, I, hope that, I hope that that would not discourage you, but rather encourage you and let you know that, look, uh, I'm still learning and I'm still growing. Point number one here this morning, we're going to take a real simple approach, just four points as we walk through this entire chapter. And first of all, it's just the first two words in the chapter is the first point, pursue love. Last week, we spent a lot of time looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, and we saw the priority that God places on love over all of the spiritual gifts. Over all of the spiritual gifts, God says, listen, the greatest of all of these things is love. And love makes up for any lack or deficiency of any spiritual gifts, but all the spiritual gifts in the world are nothing without it. Love is preeminent. And we see, we see that the Corinthians here, and we by extension Chapter 14, verse 1, we're told to pursue it. What does pursue imply? To, to pursue something, yeah, to go after it. It, it. it implies you don't have it or you don't have all of it. And now Paul's saying, listen, I've told you what love is. Now go pursue it. Roll your sleeves up and get after it. You don't have it and you need to get more of it. And love, we looked at this last week at length. Love is not a, just a warm, fuzzy feeling. Often it's accompanied by that. I'm glad that that is often the case, but often it's not the case. A lot of times love, love feels like sacrifice. Love feels like giving up your rights for the good of others. Love feels, sometimes love feels like getting on a cross and dying to yourself so that someone else can live. For God so loved that he, what's the next word? That immediately implies sacrifice and, and giving of himself, right? Like, for God, he loved so much that he, that he gave and sacrificed you. And what's that? Agape. Yeah, agape. That's right, the agape love of God. And, and that we're called to emulate. 
You and I will have to give our time, right? The three T's, time, talent, and treasure. We'll have to give our time, talent, and treasure in order to love others. And we'll often have to feel that sacrifice. We'll we'll feel at times like we're the ones getting on a cross and getting hurt. This pursuit of love. Remember when Jesus was asked, we talk about this all the time, and it's important that we talk about this all the time. Remember when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And the Pharisees that were asking him this, they were kind of trying to like trap him, kind of. That was actually a fairly common question for the rabbis of the day to get. Their followers would come and they would ask their teacher, their rabbi, Rabbi, you tell us what is, of all the instructions, what's the greatest one? What's the one that we're to... What's the one do you say is the greatest? And Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, Jesus answers them and says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then verse 40, on these two, love God and love others, On these two hang all of the law and the prophets. Jesus is saying everything in the Old Testament hangs on this one command, part A and part B. Love God and love others. Everything hangs on it. So what do you think Satan will attack? What do you think Satan would love to destroy? Where do you think Satan would love to get in in a local church like Corinth or in a marriage like yours or in a family like yours or in a church like ours? Where do you think Satan would love to plant his minds for destruction? I think he would love to to bust up the love that we're to have for one another. And so the Corinthians are told to pursue love, to find it as the greatest, even of all the spiritual gifts, to earnestly pursue love. Now, flowing out of that, right, because love can be a little bit of a nebulous concept, Paul's saying, pursue love and earnestly, this brings us to point number two, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, right? Verse verse one. We're not going to take this long to go through every single verse, by the way. Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. We all love gifts, I like gifts. Some of you are familiar with the uh, five love languages, right? And some people, their, their love language is receiving gifts. Like, I'm pretty sure that's like all of ours. Like, I like to get gifts. You like to get gifts. And the things that we want as gifts are things that we look at and we value and we, we consider them worthy. And we think, well, I, I, want, I want that thing. And God is telling the Corinthian believers, want This really, find the spiritual gifts to be valuable and worthy and um, uh, worthy of your pursuit. God wants us to desire spiritual gifts because they're worthy and valuable. And the, the majority of this passage deals with two gifts in particular. Right, you, If you were paying attention at all as we read through this passage this morning, you know that the two Gifts that are primarily emphasized here in this chapter are the gifts of tongues and of prophecy. 
Like the rest of this letter, Paul is either replying to questions or rebuking them for problems. And once again, the Corinthian believers are being rebuked here in chapter 14. And it's a little more subtle to understand, but as you read through the passage, you begin to realize that Paul is rebuking them a little bit because they wanted this miraculous, ecstatic ability to be able to speak in languages that they didn't know. They wanted this gift of tongues And they were using it in such a way where everyone was speaking in tongues all the time and people would come in and they would look at the gathered church and go, you people are out of your minds. We don't like, we don't even understand what you're doing. And they would leave their church. And Paul realizes, he looks at this and he says, now Paul, while he's encouraging them, this is a gift that God has given you. You need some, you need some restraint. You need, you need somebody pulling back on the reins a little bit. You need a biblically informed way to do this. We're going to talk about that a little bit more next week. Everyone wanted the gift of tongues and they were using them and people didn't know what was going on in the service and they were actually misusing a spiritual gift. You can misuse a tool, right? You've got tools in your toolbox and there are certain ways to use certain tools, but a hammer is not the right tool for every single problem, right? The the gift of tongues is not the right gift to use in every single situation the entire time. And the people at Corinth apparently were doing something along those lines. Everybody wanted that gift. Everybody was pursuing that gift. Everyone was exercising that gift. And I have a feeling that many were using that gift who didn't actually have that gift. They just wanted to have that gift. And they saw someone else had that gift. And that looks really exciting and and emotionally awesome. And so I want it too. Paul explains in this chapter that prophecy is better than tongues if... Uh, excuse me, unless there's an interpreter. And and many people think that Paul argues that when it comes to actually building up the church, that prophecy is, is better than tongues. And Paul argues for that here in these verses. Well, what about a good definition? Here in chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 Let's, 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 look, let's find a really good definition for tongues and a really good definition for prophecy. Well, unfortunately, Paul, does, Paul doesn't give us a clear definition on exactly what these two things are. And since he doesn't, I'm not going to either. And we'll, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm going to try. I, I, I've spent a lot of time this last week, the last few weeks, and honestly, over the course of the last 15 or 20 years that I've been studying the Bible, I spent a lot of time trying to come to a really clear, really solid, unassailable definition of and understanding of these two gifts. But I haven't come to one yet. This has been, and I alluded to it earlier, this has been actually a very humbling study for me. Godly people, wonderfully godly people, hold some differing views on this. And this morning, I'm going to give you the best explanation I have as to what the New Testament gift of tongues is and uh, as to what the New Testament gift of prophecy is. And you might be out there thinking, man, I've got a way better explanation or, I, you know, um, I totally disagree with you, Jeremy. And that, that's okay. Much godlier people than me already disagree with me um, on this topic. But let's see, if we can, let's see if we can look in this passage a little bit and understand some things that I do think will actually help us when it comes to understanding the big point 
The big point in this passage, even though Paul spends so much time on tongues and so much time on prophecy, I actually don't think the big point he's making here is a definition of tongues and prophecy. But let's take a moment and just consider, as we look in the New Testament at this gift of tongues, there does not seem to be an Old Testament equivalent to this gift. This gift seems to be practiced for the first time in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, uh, no, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 2, verse 4 and following. And it seems in the New Testament that there are three expressions of this gift. And, and there are even, I mean, I, I read a lengthy article earlier this week uh, in one incredibly smart, godly Bible scholar who says, no, there's only, there's only one expression of, of tongues in the New Testament. And I thought, man, how, am I, how dare I disagree with him? It seems to me and to many that there are, there are at least potentially three expressions of this gift in the New Testament. The, the, the first one we see in Pentecost, and I think I have, I think I have this on the, uh, on the uh, PowerPoint for you. Let's just, I'm offering this, this definition as a, as a definition for, the, for tongues. Tongues is a prayer, praise, or proclamation spoken in a language not understood by the one speaking it. Okay? And again, regardless of your opinion or your understanding of the gift of tongues, I think almost everyone agrees with this definition. This is a pretty straightforward. There's, there's nothing really debatable about this, about this definition. We see that uh, in the, the first um, expression of this gift uh, is at Pentecost. So point number one would be Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And here we see people speaking a human language that they didn't know. And you can take your time later uh, to read through that section there in Acts chapter 2 where the apostles are given the ability to speak a language that they don't know. And there are many different tongues and tribes that are gathered there uh, amongst them. And, and even here, we, st- we have some questions, right? Because was, was one apostle speaking in one language and another apostle speaking in another language and a third apostle speaking in another language, all three of whom had no idea, they didn't know the language that they were speaking, or was one speaking in a language that was somehow understood by multiple languages and and tribes represented there. We just aren't given that level of detail. I'm inclined to think that the gift of tongues was, was that individual was given the ability to speak another human language so the language, like, I don't know how to speak Arabic, but imagine that I'm standing before a group of people and I begin preaching and I, I start speaking in the language of Arabic and the, the, the Arabs uh, in my presence, they perk up and think, oh my goodness, like, let's listen to what this guy has to say. He doesn't know Arabic, but somehow he's speaking in Arabic. And there are three other places in the book of Acts that this gift is described. And everyone, any, any Christian does believe that that at least this expression of the gift of tongues is one of the, the legitimate gift of tongues. There are good Christians who would disagree on these next two uh, expressions of the gift of tongues. Again, as I currently understand the Bible, I think both of these are valid, legitimate ways for the gift of tongues to have been expressed. And I think we see it clearly in this passage. Number two, we see the Corinthian church here in, again, in, uh, I, I'm sorry, I wrote Acts 14. Uh, for point number two, Jay. It's, I'm sorry, I apologize. That's not Acts. That's First uh, Corinthians. This should say First Corinthians 14. We see, uh, look in verse two. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him. 
but he utters mysteries in the spirit. And there are other verses, verse 6, verse 13, verse 23, which I think indicate a public speaking of a non-human language that, again, the speaker did not know. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying there? Right? So the speaker is speaking in tongues. They are speaking a language that is not a human language. 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, so maybe this is an angelic kind of language or some kind of tongue that is being given to this individual by God. It's a public speaking of a non-human language that the speaker themselves didn't know. We're going to look again next week. 100% of the time, always must be with an interpreter. If someone is speaking in tongues and you hear them and there is not an interpreter, then they are not practicing the, the biblical gift of tongues. Period. Okay, and I know that it may upset some of you, but like, again, just flip, flip with me. Flip with me to uh, verse 27 of the same chapter. If I speak in a tongue, let there be only one, excuse me, two or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Right? So this is, Paul is making it very clear how this gift is to be used. A third potential way, uh, a third potential expression of the gift of tongues uh, we see in uh, here again in Acts, uh, uh, sorry, I keep saying Acts, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 14 and verse 28. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. If you look in verse 28. But if there is no one to interpret, let each keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. So there seems to be a third expression of the gift of tongues where someone is privately praying a non-human language that they don't know. So as I currently understand scripture, it seems to me like these are three different expressions of the gift of tongues that God may use. Again, some of you are looking at me like, Jeremy, you have three heads. There's clearly, there's only one um, expression of the gift of tongues, and that's the one that was used in Acts, and you might be right. I'm about 51% sure that these three expressions are all legitimate expressions, okay? There's just, in, in the interest of full disclosure, uh, I'm about 51% sure. And it depends on who I read last. I told Matt earlier. It kind of depends on, I'll read one guy, and he makes an incredible argument for his point. I'll close him up and read another guy who disagrees with that guy, and he makes an incredible argument um, that contradicts the incredible argument I read 10 minutes before. Tongues, prophecy. Okay, again, prophecy isn't defined particularly well for us either. It, it's, it's kind of described. And, and through the years, there have been three different ways to kind of understand what prophecy might be. Some believe prophecy is speaking and writing the very word of God. When, and, and in the Old Testament, the, the Old Testament prophets would begin their pronouncements from God to people, and they would say, thus saith the Lord. And in the Old Testament, if you thus saith the Lord, and it wasn't something the Lord said, then you would get stoned, that sort of thing. So there was a, you kind of wanted to make sure that when you thus said, it really was what God was saying. And some believe that the, the, the gift of prophecy um, was very specifically speaking and or writing the very word of God. Old Testament prophets did this, and some believe that there is no gift of prophecy for today because all of prophecy in the Old Testament was scripture and the Bible is done being written. I'm not sure that that's the final concluding argument in that case, but 
not all of the Old Testament prophets had everything that they prophesied written down. So I'm not convinced that all prophecy was inscripturated. Another expression, another thought about prophecy is that prophecy is simply preaching. What Jeremy does every Sunday when, when the other pastors preach that, that it, prophecy is, is the proclamation of the word of God. And there's actually some legitimate arguments that would, that would kind of support that idea. That, that's, not a, that's not a ridiculous understanding of what the, the, um, the idea, and in fact, I'm kind of inclined toward that definition of prophecy. There's a lot about that argument that I, that I like. And then thirdly, prophecy is telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. Telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. That quotation that comes from uh, Dr. Wayne Grudem's book on theology. One of the reasons I think there may be some legitimacy to that is because in the New Testament, we're told that when someone prophesies that we're to, that we're to test the prophets or we're to, we're to weigh what is said. That means we listen to a prophet and we determine, okay, is this coming from biblical truth and is this to, does this agree with the rest of Scripture? What is it that this person is saying? We, we test and we weigh. Again, three expressions of the, the gift of prophecy. As I've tried to give some biblical clarity to the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy, let's, let's remember what Paul is doing here, okay? That, that, by the way, that's, that's the best I've got for you on tongues and prophecy right now. As Paul is doing this, as he's talking about these things, though, he keeps, he keeps reiterating one significant point. And that's that people are built up. Brothers and sisters, we're going to do our very best as as Bible-believing Christians to look into the Word of God and let the Bible be the thing that informs us about these things. Often, very often, Christians will say, well, okay, the Bible's unclear, but let me tell you about my experience. And they'll explain some experience that they had. And while I don't have the authority or the ability to say you did not have that experience, here's what I want to encourage us with. As Bible-believing Christians, where we get our understanding of these things and where we place authority is not in our experiences or in someone else's experiences. Our understanding and our authority for these things comes from the Word of God. That's where we gain clarity. That's where we gain certainty, right? So it's not like, mm, these things are kind of fuzzy. I'm gonna go talk to someone who's had lots of wild experiences and, and, and I'll understand the scripture better based on their experiences. It's, it's never that way. It's always the other way around. I evaluate my experience. I evaluate others' experiences based on the word of God. Does that make sense? So you can have an experience. I, I, I'll share this anecdote real quick. I remember talking one of my dearest friends, um, pastor friend of mine, and uh, he uh, pastors a, a charismatic church, and um, well, much more charismatic than than our church is. Um, and I asked him once. I said, "Bro, did you have you spoken in tongues? Like, have you prayed in tongues in the privacy of your?" And some of you, I know some of you have had that experience before. And he said. Um, he gave me a really interesting answer. Maybe I've shared this with you before. He gave me an incredibly interesting answer. He said to me, I think so. I think so. And, and I immediately was like, what do you mean? I think so. Like, you're either doing it or you're not, right? Like, if you're, he said, I just have to be honest with you. I wanted to pray in tongues so badly 
that I wasn't sure if it was me kind of just doing it and kind of making it up and then assuming that that was me praying in tongues and then me being encouraged by what I had experienced or, or if it really was like the Spirit of God working uniquely in me. Now, again, that's, that's his experience, but that's an honest, I think that's an honest um, uh, uh, assessment of wanting something so bad that you kind of make it happen and then you assume that it did. Again, no accusations. No, I'm just saying that we have to be careful with experiences. Just because you saw it or heard it or felt something does not mean it's biblical. In fact, it doesn't mean it was from God. We're, we're really interesting creatures, aren't we? We can, we can earnestly want something so badly that we can make things up. Placebos work. Not because they work, but because we believe them to work. So it's the Bible, not my experience, where I determine truth. And like I said, I still have far more questions on this topic, and I'm sorry to leave many of you with more questions than answers. We will talk a little bit more about tongues next week. Um, and we've already looked at verses 26 and 27 because as we, uh, as we consider the gift of tongues, Paul is making it very clear, look, here's exactly how it's to happen. And my understanding, my experience, I, and again, I've not, there's a lot of churches I've never been to. I'm not aware of a church that practices the expression of the gift of tongues in, in a way that honors verses 27 and 28. I'll talk about that even a little bit more. And there may be, and if there is, feel free to come and tell me, right? I'm not, I'm not close to the idea. All of this is under the heading of desire the spiritual gifts. And you're like, Jeremy, you said desire the spiritual gifts, and then you basically told us, you know, be skeptical of tongues and skeptical of prophecy. That's actually not what I'm intending to communicate at all. But why should we desire the spiritual gifts? Well, point number three, we're to desire the spiritual gifts for the purpose of striving to build others up. And I do think this is the main point that Paul is trying to make here in 1 Corinthians 14. He's looking at a church where people weren't being built up, where outsiders were coming in and leaving thinking the people at that church are crazy. He's looking at people who are getting drunk when they're supposed to be having communion. They're, get, they're, leaving, they're leaving gluttonous when they're supposed to be having communion. They're fighting because you're of Paul and you're of Apollos and you're of Cephas and you're of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, is, remember, this is the context of this letter that Paul is writing to the Corinthians. And he writes to them and he says, now listen, I want you to desire spiritual gifts for this purpose so that you would, you'd stop doing what you're doing and start loving each other and building each other up, to build one another up. He says this over and over. Look in verse 3. On the, one, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Verse 5, I, I want you all to speak in tongues, even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in a tongue, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Look in verse 12. Strive to excel in building up the church. Look in verse 17. The other person is being built up. Look in verse 26. Let all things be done for building up. Paul is making a point here. If you're reading this letter, if you're a Corinthian believer and you're reading this letter, you realize Paul is saying, hey, we haven't been acting in love. We haven't been building each other up. In fact, we've been tearing each other apart. 
And he wants us to eagerly desire spiritual gifts and use them in a way that actually builds other people up. When, when we talk about being sad, we will often describe ourselves as being down. And we'll go and talk to someone who will build us up again. We, we, and you all have that person in your life that when you're feeling down, you go to in order to help you feel up. God wants all of us to be interacting with each other in a way that builds each other up. God wants you to use your gifts to build others up. And he wants them to build you up. And he wants you to build each other up, not just from sad to happy, but from immature to mature, and from godless to godly, and from lazy to diligent. And he gives you gifts to help each other do that. So again, I'm going to get back to kind of the topic we talked about a couple weeks ago regarding the body. Remember we talked about thing, the hand that walks around without a body, and how unhealthy and, and inappropriate that is. So again, let me ask you, and you're here this morning, so step one is the first box is checked. Are you plugged into the body of Christ in such a way that you are regularly building others up and you are regularly being built up? To, to strive for building each other up indicates, again, that you, you don't have it and you have to work intentionally toward it. Friends, let me ask you, this week, do you have plans to use your gifts in the body of Christ to build others up? I think sometimes we think, oh, it just kind of, it'll probably just happen maybe. Like God's given me a gift and I go to church on Sunday morning, so I'm probably doing it. No, probably not. Probably not doing it. There, there's, nothing, there's nothing that's productive and beneficial that we do in life that doesn't include our planning to do it. All the good stuff you get done in the week, you plan to do. Some of you are incredible planners, right? You've got to-do lists for your to-do lists. You, you have a time blocked off every week where you're going to sit down and map out your entire week, that sort of thing. Some of you are a, a little or a lot more spontaneous, but you still have the, the things that you want to get done. Brothers and sisters, we've got to plan to build up. You have to plan to build up. So you got to ask yourself, what's my spiritual gift and how am I going to employ it this week? How am I going to use it? What am I going to do with it? If it doesn't get on your calendar, you're disobedient. If it doesn't affect people, you're disobedient. If you don't use your gift to build others up, you're being disobedient. I like that level of simplicity, right? You either obey or you disobey. So if you have the gift of mercy, who needs your help this week? If you're an encourager, who will you pray with this week? Or write a note to, or give a call to, or write a text to? Do you have faith? How are you going to step out and trust God in a way this week? Are you a prophet? Who will you reach out to and speak the truth to this week? Are you hospitable? Who will be in your home this week? Pursue love and strive for building up. And all of this has an effect. All of this has an effect. Look at the very end of chapter or, well, not the end of the chapter, but look in verse 24 and 25. There's an there's a aim to this, and that brings us to the fourth point. Aim to glorify God. If all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. 
and he is called to account by all, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, what's the result? He will worship God and say, God is really in this place. Friends, this is the goal. This is what we desire that God would be at work doing here in our midst, in this church. You might think, well, that was Corinth, and we're just a bunch of normal people in Texas. They were just normal people in Corinth, right? They were just like us, inconsistent and sinful and wanting to do right some of the time and struggling with their own sin. And Paul is describing for them, you can become a place where outsiders will come in and they will hear what you're, they will hear your prophet. This is specifically referring to the gift of prophecy, but I think I do think you can tease that out a little bit and just say when when outsiders come in and see a gifted church using their gifts to build others up, they're going to see this is unlike any other organization in that I've ever been a part of. See, every other organization you join, is, it's typically for what you can get out of it. You join a club, you join a, some kind of organization, and it's for what you can get out of it. And the church, you join, God, God joins you to, right? You become part of the body, and now your outlook is 100%. How can I bless? How can I help? How can I? The happiest people are the ones that are just out there looking for ways to serve and looking for ways to bless. And it's the people who are like, man, this church, like, do they, are they going to help me? Like, what's, I'm waiting for someone to come and do something for me. And those are the ones who, you're not using your gifts the way God intends for you to. This is what we want. And when an outsider comes and they see, that when, the, when, the, when they, uh, what is it, the secrets of their heart are disclosed and falling on their face, they worship God and declare that God is really among you. What's happening there? I believe that's an unbeliever walking in and hearing and watching and seeing. And part of the prophecies are that he, they're hearing of what Christ has done and that salvation is found only in him. And they have to turn from their sin and trust in Christ as their savior. And then they fall on their knees or fall on their face and worship God and declare God is in this place. Friend, have you, have you done that? Have you had that moment where you fell on your face and worship God, and when he revealed the secrets of your heart, are you following him? That's what glorifies him. Our main point this morning was you are gifted to build others up for the glory of God. And while we may still have some questions about tongues and prophecy, there's a lot about gifting that we don't have questions about. We know how we're supposed to use our gifts. We know we're to use them for the building up of others. We build others up in a way that both we and outsiders will see God is in this place and we fall on our face, face and worship him. I ask you to bow your head, and close your eyes. God is in this place this morning. God is in this place, right? We know that he is in this place. And we actually get to celebrate the good news that I was just talking about regarding Jesus Christ. We get to celebrate the good news of Christ's work for us in the Lord's Supper. And in just a moment, Matt's going to come. I'll go ahead and invite the music team to come and get in place. And Matt and the deacons will come to serve the, the communion. If you're here this morning, though, and you've not put faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me encourage you. Make today the day of your salvation. It's not a magic formula. There's nothing you must do. It is simply turning from your sin and trusting in Christ as your Savior. If you'd like to talk with me or one of the other pastors, we'd be happy to visit with you about that. For the rest of us, let's rejoice in what Christ has done to make us one, to bring us into this body, 
to gift us so that we can now use our gifts for the building up of this body to make others who would then come and partake in this celebration of the Lord's work on our behalf as well. Father, thank you. Thank you for gifting us so that we can build others up for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As we transition into a time of the Lord's Supper, I want to call us to a few